Malcolm Fraser, who was uh, the Prime Minister of Australia between 1975 and 1983, uh, Malcolm Fraser famously said, life wasn't meant to be easy. He may have said it a number of times, uh, I'm not sure, but the phrase stuck to him and he's been gently ridiculed for it ever since. Life wasn't meant to be easy. Uh, it's perhaps not the most strategic or tactful thing for a PM to say. Words are not likely to win popularity. It might perhaps have been something of a personal motto, though, for Malcolm Fraser himself. The phrase is actually a paraphrase of a line from a Bernard Shaw play that says, Life is not meant to be easy. But take courage, my child. It can be delightful. Malcolm Fraser's motto, or the Bernard Shaw line it paraphrased, uh, perhaps seems to get vaguely within cooing distance of the approximate vicinity of the region of truth. Because there is hardship almost everywhere, most of the time. And that seems to be a part of life, but it doesn't make life without value. On Good Friday, uh, I spoke about how the cross is an unavoidable and necessary part of what it means to be human. Of course, of course the vast majority of humankind would disagree with that statement. And again, it's not the kind of thing you want to say if you want to be popular. To quote a friend and mentor of mine, I'm always nervous of popularity because no one who follows a crucified Messiah can ever hope to be popular. But the truth is, is that life doesn't seem to be meant to be easy. It, most people are struggling with something pretty major most of the time. As a pastor, I know that the, the person in deep grief or suffering with a major challenge, they can feel isolated by their difficulties, um, like, they're, they're, like they're the only person suffering. Um, at such times, we can feel that actually life is going swimmingly for everybody else. I'm alone called to suffer. It can feel like that. Um, in really hard times. But the truth of the thing is that most people are struggling with something pretty major most of the time. Life and suffering seem inseparable, kind of necessary to each other. Life, it would seem, was not meant to be easy. Genesis 3 articulates the principle at work here in a much more precise and accurate way. Uh, in Genesis 3, immediately following the fall, the Lord says to the serpent in the garden, the Lord says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Uh, briefly, this uh, judgment of God concerns the fact 
that human beings ever thereafter, although they themselves are evil, although they have rebelled, although they have eaten the forbidden fruit and fallen, although they themselves are evil, yet nevertheless it is the judgment of God that they will hate evil and do their very best to eliminate it. But no one can engage with this humankind project, the humankind project of the elimination of evil, no one can truly work to make this world a better place without suffering for it. That is the judgment of God. Genesis 3.15, which I've just quoted, Genesis 3.15 is something called the Proto-Evangelium, uh, the Proto-Evangelium, the, the gospel, the good news in prototype, the first promise of redemption in the Bible, along with the first hint as to how it will be achieved. A seed of woman will smash the head of the serpent, but he himself will also suffer. To, to grasp the heel or to strike the heel, to grasp the heel is a he- Hebrew euphemism. It means to attack through deception or betrayal. Uh, The English equivalent to grasp the heel, the English equivalent is to stab somebody in the back. The seed of Eve, the son of man, will defeat the serpent. He will strike his head. But the path he treads will involve suffering through betrayal. In the Bible, life is not meant to be easy for a clearly identified reason. The way to make life easy, briefly, would be to capitulate to evil. The author of the book of Hebrews, writing to Christians for whom life is not easy, writing to Christians experiencing distress, social ostracization, victimization and persecution for being Christian, the, the author to the book of Hebrews says in chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Uh, I like to think that uh, the author um, of the book of Hebrews, I like to think that it was indeed the Apostle Barnabas. In actual fact, we don't know who wrote that book, and traditionally authorship has been attributed to the Apostle Paul. Paul and Barnabas, of course, were close friends, but I like to think it may have been Barnabas. That idea is speculation. But what we have here in these words from chapter 12, well, it follows on from chapter 11. And in chapter 11, we get a lengthy description of people living by faith 
from the Old Testament. By faith, people did things considered ridiculous by people living, living around them, um, like Noah. Um, by faith, people like Abraham left one place to go to another place, not knowing why or how, but trusting nevertheless the God who had called them. By, pay, by, excuse me, by faith, people saw things not as they were, but as they could be, like Sarah and Moses. And by faith, people suffered all kinds of maltreatment and atrocities, even forsaking opportunity of escape, all for the sake of the saving rule of God, the only hope for a better world. Therefore, the, 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 the author therefore concludes... You see what's possible when people trust God? Anything is possible. So ditch everything that's unhelpful and consign sin to the rubbish bin. Let's run this race, this race that has been marked out for us. What race? What course? What's the route? I don't know the way. How can I know the way? You can... Uh, almost hear the people asking the author that. Well, the author responds, well, you can run the race by fixing your eyes on Jesus. He is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In other words, Jesus shows us exactly and perfectly what it means to be a Christian. And what does it mean to be a Christian? What is the course of the race? Where will this journey take us? What did Jesus do so perfectly and in such a pioneering way? Well, the author tells us, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus understood that crucifixion was unavoidable and necessary for him both as a human being and for him as the human being, for him as son of man and for him as son of God. Unavoidable and necessary. And by showing us how to do crosses, Jesus shows us how to follow him. On uh, Friday, I spoke about how, uh, just before Jesus died, in response to being shamed and ridiculed by Jew and Gentile, by friend and family and foe, and by God himself, and in the physical agony of crucifixion, Jesus lost sight of why this was happening to him, and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Yet even so, he trusted God and obediently gave up his spirit, surrendering his soul. This morning we read, once again, Easter Sunday, we read about how God raised him from the dead to everlasting life, never to die again, and gave him all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Ultimate sacrifice, perfect trust, total vindication, complete victory.
all authority. Therefore, two therefores. Matthew's therefore and um, Barnabas's therefore, or the therefore in the book of Hebrews. Two therefores. Matthew's therefore. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is Lord, and the world needs to know that. And the world needs to know how to live Jesus' way, because that's the only non-catastrophic way to live. To withhold from others the key to life would be inhumane. That's Matthew's therefore. Therefore, go and tell others, baptizing, discipling, teaching. And now to Barnabas's therefore. Verse 3, therefore, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Opposition from others in all of this, in baptizing, discipling, teaching, opposition from others is unavoidable and necessary. It's the world we live in. But Jesus shows us the way. Loving sacrifice for others, especially for those who are our enemies. The greater the love, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the willingness to suffer, the greater the victory. That's Barnabas's therefore. Malcolm Fraser and Bernard Shaw, life wasn't meant to be easy. Close, but no cigar. Rather, life was meant to be cross-shaped. Good Friday is the example. Easter Sunday is the proof. Well, uh, let's get this sermon ready uh, for landing. Um, we all want victory. We all want victory over those things that are evil in our lives, that constrain and cripple and deform us. We all want victory. And sometimes we might not use the word victory. Sometimes we might use the word success or significance or validation or vindication. But what it is that we really want is victory over evil. Whatever word is used, the idea is victory. And there's a lot of money to be made in the idea that you can have that victory without the cross. But you can't. The cross, as a figure of Christian speech, the cross stands for many things. It stands for suffering for good, suffering for what's right, suffering unjustly. Suffering without understanding why. Suffering because of others. Suffering for others. Suffering sacrificially. But suffering nonetheless and always. We are usually in denial of the truth that the cross is both unavoidable and necessary. 
Certainly, um, it is unavoidable and necessary to the Christian life, but actually it's unavoidable and necessary to human life because there's no such thing as non-Christian life. Life without Jesus is inhumane. Well, uh, let's now uh, land this sermon. Um, Without Easter Sunday, Good Friday would be heroic but tragic, and life truly would be meaningless and hopeless. But now, together with Easter Sunday, we see Good Friday as heroic and pioneering and perfection. We can persevere when we're suffering and know the outcome. It's the way it was meant to be. We can trust God with being crucified because we know that Jesus reigns. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. Dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over all the nations. Amen and Amen. Praise the Lord. You may now unbuckle your seats and the Lord be with you all. Amen.